Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 349. It's little situations like that where it's like you just, you can't care about these material things. You can't care about, you know, like uh, uh, the numbers so much, you know, in terms of food costs or labor costs and stuff like that. It's more about the culture of what, what you're doing and how you're treating people that resonates so much more with your customers than just 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 the numbers game, you know? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Is your restaurant so busy that sometimes guests have to wait 20, 30, maybe even 60 minutes to get sat? Do they ever get so fed up that they just get up and go somewhere else? No Way manages waitlists digitally so that diners can join the waitlist from home and know exactly when to show up. With No Way, you never feel too busy because guests never feel like they have to wait. Check out nowait.com slash Unstoppable for a special offer just for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. Again, that's nowait.com slash unstoppable. Facebook marketing, it's intimidating, it's stressful, but you don't have to do it alone. Our friend, past guest mentor, and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, is launching his automated cash flow masterclass this week. You'll get five automated Facebook marketing systems that attract new customers on a shoestring budget. You'll also get all the offers, all the promotions, and you'll see step-by-step how to set each of these up in 20 minutes or less. This will be selling for $1,500, but he's giving it to you for free for a limited time only. Head over to www.restaurantsfbsystems.com. That's FB like Foxtrot Bravo. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Johnny Ray Zone. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Yes. All right. That is what we like to hear. So Chef Johnny Ray Zone is an L.A. native, has worked professionally under some of the best chefs in the world, including Thomas Keller, Gordon Ramsay, and Nobu Matsu Hise. Did I say it correctly? Hisa. I struggle with that name. I don't know why. Close. That's all right. In 2014, during a stage at Sean Brock's Husk in Nashville, Tennessee, a local chef introduced Johnny to Nashville hot chicken, and it was instantaneous love. It's safe to say in the years to follow, Chef Johnny has dedicated his life to mastering the perfect piece of hot chicken. And you can find his hot chicken at Howland Ray's Nashville Hot Chicken located in Los Angeles, California. You know, obviously this introduction isn't doing you justice. We're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to learn more about what makes you awesome. But let's just get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Um never stop learning. So, or, and also never like always be in search of perfection. Um, even though you realize you can never really attain it. Um, because that's going to be something that will continue to push you throughout your whole career and, uh, can also be used as motivation to just get better every single day. I love it. And where did you pick that up from? I'm curious. 
That's a big one from uh, working for Thomas Keller. You know, he's yeah. always in pursuit or in the search of perfection, um, even though he understands that he'll never be there. So dive into that whole concept of knowing that you'll never get there. Why is that part of it so key? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of goals, once you accomplish goals, you know, you can feel like you've kind of like made it or like you've, uh, you know, you've hit the top, you've hit the the peak of your career, et cetera. But having the understanding of you will never be at your peak and you're constantly in search for a peak is a way to propel you even further forward. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the whole idea. Like there is no such thing as perfection. Uh, the only thing that's perfect is our imperfections, but just knowing that every day, the goal is just to get a little bit better and to get one step closer to perfection. Just that mind, that mindset is so powerful. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, what is, what is your vision for, uh, Howland fried chicken or Howland, Howland chicken? Like what, what is the original concept and what is it to you today? Yeah. I mean, when I first had it, I, I, I fell in love with it so much that uh, I wanted to come back to Nashville and, and book a trip just eating all the different versions of it and do like a kind of uh, tour of every single hot chicken restaurant that was existing in Nashville. And then on top of that, I wanted to bring it to L.A. I feel like in a major city like L.A. or New York, you know, it's hard to be the first to do something, you know, like the first to be like, okay, I'm bringing Nashville hot chicken to Los Angeles. You know, okay. that was, that was really exciting to me at the time because you couldn't get it anywhere here in LA. And most fried chicken is like in pieces, you know, so you'll get like a two piece meal, three piece meal, whatever, you know, hot chicken's fried in quarters. So it's like a thigh and a drumstick still attached with the backbone okay, or a breast and a wing still attached. So it's not really pieces. It's a quarter it's a quarter breast or, or, or a leg quarter, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, that, that was also unique to LA in itself. And so that really was really exciting for me to be able to introduce something to a major market. And also, um, I was so excited about the dish because of the heat and the way it's fried and that I just, you know, really wanted to dedicate myself to mastering that. Um, so, so those are a few other motivating factors, the major motivating factors of why, I did what I did with Alan Ray's. I dig it. And I think we're really going to dive into the power of having that unique selling proposition or having that thing that nobody else is doing and how that can be so powerful, especially in a market like Los Angeles where there's just so much people. Um, but what would you say uh, Howland Ray's is today? Like if you could like spit out like a mission statement or like what it is to you uh, in just a couple sentences. I feel like Helen Reyes has become a um, culturally like a, like a melting pot, both on its clientele and its employees um, and its location of the, uh, of the restaurant where it's this establishment that is bringing together so many different people, you know, and with the line, like we have, a, we have a pretty a fairly long line. Um, but if you look at all the people in line, the demographic is one of the most diverse demographics I feel like in Los Angeles because you'll have just so many different people from so many different walks of life. And to me, that's something that's really exciting in terms of maintaining as a core value for this company is to um, build a community because Chinatown wasn't, wasn't how it is right now, you know, uh, a year ago, it was really like a ghost town. 
kind of. And so to be able to develop a community um, and then serve a dish that hasn't been served before and bring together so many different cultures because it, it, it does fried chicken, southern, it's, it, 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 we have a sandwich that just destroys in terms of sales. Like, so we sell so many, we sell like 600 a day. And yeah. so keeping that as a core value of, of, of the company, uh, that's always been a kind of goal. And it's really been one of our true successes. And then on top of it, also not just hiring chefs, you know, like, like most of my employees are, are customers. Yeah. So like they were customers. They saw how I run it and stuff like that. And they want to work there. And, and I, I got tired after 12 years of being a chef and working in fine dining restaurants. I got tired of working with chefs. I wanted to work with just people who like to work hard. Awesome. So and, uh, I'm, I'm making notes because I, I definitely want to come back to this. I'm making notes working with your normal day folks. Uh, all right. So I love what you're, you're sharing with us, chef. Um, and man, I, I I'm already wanting to pull back the layers, but I'm going to resist the urge. Cause I know we have time to, to pull back all these layer, layers later on. Uh, but let's go back to when you knew, uh, this was going to be your career. So can you bring us back to a time uh, when you first maybe got started in hospitality and when did you know this is going to be your jam? Uh, yeah. I mean, when I was, I'd say like 15, 16, um, I was out in New Mexico, uh, with, uh, like, like on a summer vacation from school. And I had this burger where everything was like local, like the bread and the, and the meat. And, the, and then it had like these charred Anaheim chilies on it that were grown locally. And it just, it just flipped my switch, man. I was like, I want to be able to cook like this, you know, every, every day at two o'clock at night, whatever. And it wasn't so much about like the fine dining aspect of it, but it was so, it was just about being able to make some really badass food at any time. All right. And how old were you when this happened? This is like 15, 16. 15, 16. So what things did you start to do in your life? Um, when did you really get intentional about getting yourself on the right track to make this happen? So yeah, gearing up to finish high school, um, I wanted to get in the restaurant. My, my father, he was a big advocate of like just doing what you love. And, and so if you want to be you want to work in a restaurant, go, go work in a restaurant, do a dishwashing position or, or, or do whatever you can, sweep the floors, mop the floors. You want to be an actor? sweep the floors at a, a production studio, you know, like just, just start from the ground up. And so I got a, I got a restaurant job. I think when I was like 17 uh, towards the end of high school um, at a French bistro here in Los Angeles as a dishwasher. Okay. And uh, did you get any formal training, culinary training? Mm-mm. Awesome. I, bought, I love that. I bought a, a CIA <laughs> textbook there you from go. Uh, Amazon. And, oh, that's uh, awesome! A used one. It was like seventeen sixty four or something like that. Uh, I don't think it was on Amazon Prime, but uh, I got it, and then I, I I wrote the the book like word for word in another kind of like textbook that I had, and um, that gave me the foundation of the language. Really, I feel like uh, like what a colander is, what a chinois is, what a tammy is, what a china cap is, all that stuff that enabled me to like work salad station, you know, uh, in that same French restaurant. All right. Eventually you got this. What, what year is this? I'm just curious. I can put a timeline to this. I was probably like 18, 18, 19. Okay. And what year was uh, that? Man, 
I'd have to pull up a calendar. Well, how old are you now? <laughs> 30, 30 now. Okay, so we're talking 12 years ago. So 2005, or yeah, 2005. Yeah. That, I mean, that's pretty awesome. I, I, I don't realize, like, you know, so many, we're, we're just like hardwired to think that we have to go to culinary school, that we have to invest all this money to make our dreams come true. And I'm curious, do you think you'd be where you are today um, if you didn't have to work so hard on your own to achieve it and you didn't have to, I mean, would have going to school inhibited you at all? I'm curious in your opinion. I, you know, I mean, I was never the type of guy that I, I, I didn't really like school. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I don't, I don't like being kind of controlled and I, I've had issues with at other restaurants that I've kind of worked at in that sense. Like I've always tried to work my way up in the ranks and stuff like that. And, um, but I, I think if I did go to culinary school, I don't think I'd still be doing it. Um, because I think that the debt, you know, that mm. you incur from, from culinary school and then also the mindset they put you in. I work with, in the past, I've worked with a lot of culinary students and I actually don't necessarily like to hire culinary students uh, now because of a lot of poor, I, I know that like they're not all going to be like this, but I've had a lot of poor attitude, um, poor work ethic and also, you know, motivation to make more money because they have the debt looming mm. over them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious when people approach you young, passionate, uh, you know, culinarians, uh, do you advise not to go to college ever or what happens yeah. when people, okay, talk, take me through that them, conversation. First, I tell them to get a, like, like just work in a restaurant for like three months, mm-hmm. four months. Uh, and then, and then see if it like, like first do that before you sign a contract for 40,000 or 20,000 or whatever it is to kind of commit to, you yeah. know, or, or try cooking, try actually you know like like cooking a lot of stuff at home and then uh working a restaurant a little bit and see see if it's for you you know because it is it's grueling and it's it's hard work it really is i mean i have i'm 30 years old and i have very close veins because when i was working for nobu and gordon ramsay that was simultaneous that's the same time so i'd wake up and i'd go butcher fish from like 6 a.m to 2 p.m or 1 p.m and then go work a dinner shift at ramsay's on the fish station and then knock it out till one o'clock at night and then do it over the next day. Man, I, I really want to know how you put yourself in, in the position. I mean, what you did uh, is my advice to everybody who is serious about being successful in this industry, which is surround yourself with amazing people. Uh, yeah. And that's what you did. So how did you get your foot in the door to these incredible restaurants uh, with no degree? Like, What was your approach? How did you make that happen? Yeah, I mean, so it was it was, it was kind of like being consistent at the jobs that I had. So working at that French bistro for a year or two, and that was at two thousand five. So we're talking to another maybe a better job. Okay, what was better in your opinion? Yeah, and then go then then, well, like a like more of a, a like a, a, a line cook management kind of position or something like that. Okay, so you, you know, like like instead of just making <clears throat> after after working at the French bistro. And then working on the salad station and then eventually, cause you, you get, you moved up, you know, if, if you you have a good attitude and you're willing to do extra stuff and stay extra and, and, and work a little bit for free here and there, you know, uh, you, you get moved up. So by going from salads, then I was making the risottos and, uh, then eventually I was cooking steaks 
And then eventually, you know, new guys were going in and I was showing them how to do things. Because I mean, that's all I knew at the time was that French kind of bistro cooking, but I was still able to teach the new guys that were coming in how this particular restaurant likes to do their big frites and how they like to do their risotto there. And then at that point, I was like, okay, I could see myself, you know, kind of running a morning shift or running, running a crew, you know. And so I took a, a job with this guy, Hans Rocket Wagner, at one of his uh, cafes in Venice. Okay. As like and- an entry-level sous chef kind of thing. What year was that? Like how that many- was probably like that was two years after uh, Figaro. Okay, which is the first year of 2005. So we're looking at like 2007, 2008? Yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple things I want to pull out of that. Uh, you said you got a better job, and I asked you on purpose uh, what was better because I feel like so many people, when they change jobs in this industry, they look at pay. And I was hoping it would come out in your answer, which was you were looking to learn new things. So better to you was learning new things, and that's yeah, so key. so dive into why that was management it was learning how to be a manager Mm. and what made you choose the restaurants you You know what i mean like it's learning how to control um it was based on the opportunity of like so going way back i I was really into basketball i still am i I play basketball on the weekends and um like i'm getting my dunk back finally nice uh I, i was out of it for a while but um now I'm finally getting back into it. I have a huge passion for basketball. And when I, what was so exciting to me those first few months in terms of cooking was like, I felt like I was like in the post, you know, uh, working on like my footwork when I was on the line and it's in these small cramped spaces and you're like right behind you, you know, and you tap them and you know, you move over to a different section and knife skills and all this stuff. It was, it was very similar in terms of, you know, like doing these different drills and doing these different exercises um, in basketball to cooking and so, so what made me propel to the next job was it was a new exercise in management and being like a captain of the team or something like that. And that's what, I mean, technically it was pretty much the same pay. Uh, during my starting period of being a line cook, the, it, it was like $9.50 to $12 an hour. That was all the jobs we were paying the same amount, no tips. And so it wasn't really about pay during that time, because the minimum wage was so low, you know, it was just, uh, it was, it was about working on, like, if I get this job, then I can get another job in the future, maybe as a, as a manager at a better restaurant or something like that, you know, and, and, and I, I saw it as more of a career path than just working for somebody who's more acclaimed or just getting more money. Cause you can, you can sell out short, which is like, yeah, you can get, I, I could have got paid $15, $16 an hour at, at some hotel at, at, at the same time that I took the Hans Rackenwagner job, but I wouldn't be where I'm at now if I didn't take mm. that job because that job eventually led me to working for Corey Ramsey. Mm. And, you know, it's it's just, I'm curious. Do you think that if you went through a culinary experience and you had debt, you would be thinking the same way? No, that's what I'm saying to most people. Like, I don't recommend going to culinary school because you can get the same education and get paid at the same time to do it. Yeah, a little bit less, but... Uh, you're getting paid to do something you love. 
and, and learn. Yeah, and you're not going to have outrageous school loan debt coming out of school, forcing you to make decisions based on money and not decisions based on what's going to be most fulfilling, what you're going to learn, what's going to make you happy. Because at the end of the day, guys, you're not going to make a ton of money right away. I mean, you can make good money as a restaurateur in this industry, but it takes a lot of work uh, and it really you don't want money dis- determining your decisions when you're trying to get that clarity on what it is that matters to you, what it is that really lights you up. Um, and I don't want to speak too much in your place. Like, what are you thinking when I say these things? No, I completely agree. I think uh, when uh, the motivating factors in, in job changes and, and your, your levels of influence should not be monetary because monetary comes with experience and it comes with time. And uh, if you're focused on that in the immediate like future, you're maybe you can get it and stuff, but you're not going to be a better chef or a better craftsman or a better artist or a better, you know, wh- whatever aspect to being a chef you really like, it's not going to make you better. Mm. You know? Yeah. You can maybe get a PS4 and stuff like that. Uh, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, you have disposable income and you have another car and stuff like that, but that, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything. I was driving this old beat up Honda 1972 CD450 nice. uh, to, to all these jobs. It was like a thousand dollar motorcycle, 1,800. And uh, it would break down sometimes, but I, I moved uh, to, to all the jobs into apartments that were really close to the jobs. And literally three fourths of my monthly check was for rent. And I didn't have to worry about food because we had staff meal. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was good, you know, um, and it wasn't necessarily a balanced lifestyle, but that's what, that's where I, I earned my chops, you know, like I really, I, 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 I put knots in my belt. Uh, yeah. But you working you, these jobs and that's what gave me the experience to do exactly. what I'm doing now. Exactly. And you gave yourself the flexibility to be able to live that lifestyle, whereas you won't be able to if you invest too much money in your education. And uh, we can move on. We can talk about other things because I feel like you have so much more value uh, to provide than just this topic. But let's talk about what you were doing and what your life looked like when you you were moving from like Gordon Ramsay to Naboo to Thomas Keller and then eventually over to Husk in uh, – in Nashville, Tennessee, like were you being intentional with these movements and what was going on in your head and take us through like that thought process and why you were doing the things you were doing. Well, it's funny because like working with Ramsey, you know, like growing up, I, uh, one, one of the most influential, because I see on your website, you have a lot of like book references and stuff. One of my most influential books was Anthony Bourdain's kitchen confidential. Okay. That really, that really spoke to me because of the whole, like, it was like a pirate ship, you know, like it was like these pirates on a boat with tattoos and stuff and working the line and having like 20 steaks come in and cooking all the steaks up to temp and all this stuff. And that was the thrill for being a chef for me more so than like plating things that are really refined and like with tweezers and, 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 and the glamour, there was no glamour to it. You just worked your ass off, you know, and then you had a beer at the end of the night and it, it was like, I don't know, that was, that was glamorous to me. That was something that I was like, wow, like, I, I like that. I want to, I want to work hard. I want to, I want to, you know, be one of these chefs, one of these chefs that, that are grinding 200 covers out in four hours or whatever. And, and that's what, ex- that's what spoke to me. And um, Ramsey kind of had that same 
he was a little more refined, but he had that same kind of demeanor. I feel like in terms of being a chef where it's hard, it's, you're not spoken to in necessarily the most nice way. You know, it's, it's tough. And you can either, you know, put up and, and, uh, warm uh and it's intense pressure or you kind of like break down and so being able to work for him you know for the time that i did was such a blessing um and it was because of the the consistency of the jobs that i had so i wasn't just going three months here three months here three months here it was a year two years here you know and then and then okay i'm ready to make my next step i feel like i've learned a lot at this place and i want to learn more it was it was more about education um making those moves so after going for working with Ramsey for about two years, we got a Michelin star and ownership was kind of changing. They, they were in a hotel and, and, and it's weird when you're in a hotel because you have to deal with the owners of the hotel, the, the management company. So they were, they were pushing it in a different direction. And I kind of felt like, you know, things were changing a lot. And um, Bouchon was just about to open in Beverly Hills. And Thomas Keller was, that was another one of those books that the French Laundry Cookbook that I just read and fantasized about and dreamed about, like, this is the type of food I want to be making. Uh, I applied for a job like six months before they open. And then I think four months later, got got a call from a management team little interview. interviewed for sous chef but didn't get sous chef i got like a, a line cook role and i was willing to still take it and, and i took it and um worked there and we refined my uh, uh, finesse and and technique um and then had an opportunity to finally make a little bit of money and be an executive chef at a, at a french bistro um and when this little restaurant called la pudelle uh in franklin village and um did that and then it's funny because when I was making a lot of money, that's when I started wanting to go do stages. So literally I was the money that I was making, I wanted to spend on going to work for free at Husk. Like Husk, I just did a stage. I did a seven, seven day stage. I didn't, I didn't work there. Uh, I got off a job, but I didn't, I didn't work there. I was just staging. So I flew out there, worked about 14, 15 hours, uh, seven days straight, and then flew back here with, with just a fresh, perspective but it's funny because when you start making that money you kind of crave that education you know still so so that's that's kind of like the transition and why and how through each restaurant how many stages were you doing at this time was was husk just one of many stages you were doing or were you staging often all over the place yeah so i mean i would some of them were stages some of them were just helping out other uh friends like chris morningstar was a buddy of mine. I met him on a TV show called Knife Fight, and um, I went and helped him open up his uh, Tureen restaurant here in LA. Um, I, I, I went and cooked with uh, Craig Thornton at, at Wolf's Mouth. Um, I it was just I, I wasn't getting fulfilled on that. Edu- I, I, I I did a great job on like reconfiguring a restaurant and making it profitable. And putting systems in place with vendors and staff, and um, creating creating new you know dishes that spoke more to this generation, but also had touches of French you know bistro to them. And but but after a certain while, I was just maintaining the systems, and I wasn't getting fulfilled from an educational standpoint. So 
um, like, like in terms of just like how much I'm learning, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's when all the stages kind of came out. And then one of them, you know, Husk and going out to Nashville, it just flipped my switch in terms of having the hot chicken uh, at Prince's where I was like, I, I, I want to do that. I want to bring this to LA. I, I, I will, it, it kind of tied in with my father passing away. When he passed away, it got me to a point where I was like, fuck it. I'm going to open a food truck. I'm going to do Nashville hot chicken in LA. And if nobody likes it, fine, but I'm, I'm going to do this because I feel very strongly about this. And when that happened, it's funny because sometimes things in life, they like, they happen and they can be of course negative and, and, you know, have a negative impact on you. But it was such a blessing when that happened because it, got, it pushed me to a wall so far because that was like the only person that I was really trying to make proud in my life where I was like, I'm just going to, I'm doing this, you know, and, and everyone's going to say I'm, I'm not smart for maxing out credit cards for taking out loans on, on my wife's car uh, and, and, and doing all these risky moves just to open a food truck. And uh, it, it paid off because of the, the love and kind of like passion that I had for this uh, dish and, and for cooking. And then also because of the professional experience that I had of doing it for, for 10 years at the time, it, uh, it worked, it clicked. And then, um, that's, that's a big part of why I'm at where I'm at now. And it's fun because now as the owner of the company and the chef, I'm learning so much in terms of structuring a whole company, you know? So you go back to Figaro and I'm moving to this other job because I want to learn how to manage two line cooks. And then now I'm managing a whole company, uh, the entire staff and looking at other locations and trying to figure out expansion, uh, trying to figure out capital in terms of raising, like, do I need $500,000? Do I need $800,000? Should I open in other cities? You know, it's, it's just, and, and that's what's amazing about the industry is like, it's never can, ending learning. Like, yeah. There's always something to learn. And I yeah. am loving what you're giving us, chef. You're on a tear right now. I'm just getting out of your way and you're just laying it out there. Some great stuff I want to pull out of what you shared with us though is, uh, first, um, just, you know, people must look at you and go, wow, this guy came out of left field and overnight success. You know, look at his fried chicken place. It's awesome. But 10 years chef put into making this happen. 10 years of learning, of figuring out what made him get lit up inside about just learning the, the little things on how to run a business, how to cook and surrounding yourself with excellence and having standards and just getting the right frame of mind. 10 years. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens after doing the work for 10 years of just learning and putting your, your time in. So I just couldn't not put emphasis on that. And uh, I'm curious why, why at least one year you said when I was finding new jobs, I would choose to stay at least one year. Why was that important to you? Well, because like how much do you think you can learn, you know, in a, if you're going to take a job and you're going to, on your resume put, I worked here and you worked, there for like three months or six months or nine months, you know, it seems like, like, okay, what's the, what, like, how much of a critical think, thinker are you if you're just, you know, like, like uh, all these different jobs on your resume and s s short time, short period there, who's going to want to hire you? Mm. You know, people are looking for long-term. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I was talking with Andy Ricker from Pock Pock about it and like we were discussing how much it costs to train a uh, staff member. 
like actual, how much does it cost the restaurant to train them up to speed where they can work a station by themselves without management, you know, supervising them. And it's like, it's like three to three to six grand, depending on, you know, pay rates and stuff like that. That's how much a restaurant spends on training you. And then after at that point, you know, you work for two months after the training is done where you're fully trained, where you can work at the station by yourself, closed down and it's like up to standard and everything. And then you work two months and then you're done. And then the restaurant has to start over again on a new employee. Yeah. And um, thank you for going into that. And the reason why I wanted you to go into that is we're talking a lot about getting out there, getting different experience, taking the job, learning, moving on to the next job. But you at the same time, what Chef is talking about, you know, it's, it's integrity. It's the integrity of knowing that the, these people are, are teaching you what they know and you're taking that and you've got to give before you get. You've got to give these people at least one year of hard work uh, before you can expect to get anything else like you're not going to expect people to to give you opportunities when you're they're seeing your track record and you're just leaving job after job like you got to give you got to put the time in before you can expect to get on to the next level any from what i just shared you want to reflect on yeah i mean i think that not only does it look bad from an employer perspective because like now i'm fortunate enough to have like resumes coming left and right to the to the restaurant because we have an open kitchen and people see the ambiance and they see the staff and they see like just the way we're treating our customers and treating each other. And it's a really exciting place to work. So I've never in my career been in a situation where I've had so many candidates that have been applying for jobs, not only just on the website, like, like we're not even saying we're hiring. They're just sending resumes, sending resumes. Yeah, and a, then a- also when I post ads, but I'm not looking for like, like I see those candidates now and, I'm not going to reward that behavior. Like I'm not going to, I don't call anybody back. I, I called one guy back. Uh, this other guy had, he worked three months at like a, like a really nice restaurant, six months at a really nice restaurant. I didn't call him. I called the guy that worked at a year at Denny's. Why is that? He worked at, he worked a year at Denny's and this is Denny's. It's a shitty like <laughs> restaurant. You know what I mean? But he really wanted to, move up and, and go to another kind of, you know, uh, like a next level situation where it's like, okay, I worked at Denny's for a year, but now I kind of want to, I like this whole cooking stuff and, you know, I, I, I'm really interested in food and I want to learn. I want to no culinary school, you know, but I mean, he worked at Denny's. So it's like, I, I know I'm going to be able to, to teach him stuff, but also I know he's going to be loyal and he's going to respect the education that he's getting and be yep. he's gonna work there for 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 a long time yeah. and so it's funny because i've only had one uh guy that i've had had to fire uh in the in the restaurant's inception so i mean obviously it's gonna happen but so far in a year i've only fired one person and the rest of them all of them have been there either since day one or since they first got hired well, and we're already at a half hour. It's crazy how fast time is going. But yeah, I mean, we can't put the emphasis on uh, enough emphasis on really uh, taking the time to have that track record of uh, loyalty and integrity uh, because your employees are looking at that. And I'll, the other thing I needed to point out too is just take whatever job you can get to get your foot in the door and then bust your ass and work up from there. Get your foot in the door if it means surrounding yourself with incredible people. Do not. Do not settle for meteor like surrounding yourself for mediocre or mediocre people. It's not worth it. Like, get your foot in the door. Uh, that was huge too. And then just never stopping 
the, the learning process, uh, always learning, challenging yourself. No one else is going to challenge you but yourself. And when you learn all you can learn, get out, go to different restaurants, stage, never stop learning. I had to point out those things. And I really want to kind of move more towards present time, closer to 2015, uh, where, where you started taking these risks. You, you invested money on a food truck. I mean, what things were you doing in your businesses, in your food truck? I mean, first, why a food truck? Why didn't you go for bigger? Because that, that's that's all I could afford at the time. I, I feel like a lot of restaurants um, they do these expensive build outs and and like it'll be like a million dollars, two million dollars, and you know they have to pay that money back. Mm. So it's 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 not like 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 investors will get a percentage of the company, like say forty percent for bringing the money, but then they also need to make the, their money back. Uh, that they invest into the restaurant. And so if it's a million dollar, $2 million loan, you know, you have to pay that back over a period of time. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't know how well Nashville hot chicken would do exactly. in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know, you know, like, so, uh, okay, I'll risk my life on it and stuff like that, but at least <laughs> let's make it uh, recoverable exactly. and, and start with a food truck. Yep. As opposed to starting a restaurant and then being locked into a five-year lease, yep, you know, or three-year lease, and then having to figure it out from there. Exactly. So and that that was my my approach on that. Beautiful, and you know, they call it a minimal viable product. Starting lean, starting where you can, uh, and you don't want to put yourself in a position where you start making decisions based on, you know, money. Like, oh, I need to change what I want to do based off money because then what you end up doing is so far from whatever it was that lit you up in the first place uh, that it's just like, you know, then you go to work for your job and not your, your love, you know? And uh, you, you have to have that control in it. It starts by just staying small and scaling up over time and testing your concept, testing to make yeah. sure it sticks and pivoting while you're still small, while it's easy to change, not when you're massive, uh, beautiful stuff there. And uh, take us through the process of actually going into your brick and mortar. What was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, depression, uh, fear, uh, anxiety. Uh, well, how did you, let me ask you this. How did you know it was time? Like how long did you have the food truck? First of all, like, well, how- well, I knew it was time because I only leased the truck for six months. That's all I could afford. Six and months. It wasn't making. Yeah. I okay. like typical food truck leases are 12 months, but I negotiated a, um, which another book you should probably put in is uh, the 48 laws of power by Robert green. Okay. Uh, because that taught me negotiation and, and, and hustle and moving up in, in, in my, my career. Um, you know, it, it, like every day you battle for a nickel and then that's 365 days of battling for a nickel, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah. it adds up kind yeah. of thing if you can hustle and, and, and get really good deals on things, I couldn't afford a 12 month lease. It wasn't standard for them to rent six months. I negotiate. I told them, Hey, I've been doing this for this much time. I've worked with these chefs. And if you don't want to lease me this truck uh, from your company, I think it's a very bad business move because a lot of other companies are going to come to you guys to rent a truck uh, or other chefs. If I come and do this, you know, and, Mm -hmm. So I, I negotiated six month lease instead of twelve month lease because it was I think it was like four grand a month at the time, so that was you know twenty four thousand dollars right there. 
So you um, leverage your network is what I'm hearing. You said these, if you work with me, I know all these people and this is going to be a hit and they're going to come to me asking me what I did. And I'm going to get on a podcast and say, this is the company I went to and exactly. promote. Right. And say, this is- I told him, Hey guys, <laughs> a year from now, two years from now, I'm going to get on this show. Restaurant <laughs> Unstoppable. You've probably heard of it. Yeah. And I'm going to talk to you guys about La Raza Foods. They rented me a food truck. Uh, for six months, even though it's not in their contract to do six month leases, you know. <laughs> and I'll make sure to tag them when this this goes live, so they can go. Oh man, he was right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so when did you know it was time? So you said six months. You ran out of time. So you you knew that you had to move on to the brick and mortar. But how did you pull it off? I mean, did you go into the brick and mortar feeling a little bit more confident since you did have something that sucked? Because the food truck was successful, right? Food truck was not really successful because okay. you weren't you, you're not making that much money. Okay. You, you're you're barely breaking even because especially with fried chicken and and one fryer, uh, these these trucks are built. I, I rented a, a taco truck, so they're built for tacos. Yeah, you know they have steam tables, they have a griddle to heat up the tortillas, and then you know they have all their mise en place with third pans for you know cilantro and onion and that's what they're built for. And then they even sell the mise en place in the food truck commissary. So you could buy pre-cut cilantro. You could buy your salsa for your days. You could buy everything you need. And then you just load it and go. I was, you know, highly inspired. So I like wrote this big menu with like black eyed peas, potato salad, all, all this stuff. And I had to make all this stuff, bring it to the truck every day and then drive the truck to the location and, uh, Three miles per gallon uh, is the mileage that this truck gets. And you're driving from like Burbank to like Venice, which is like a pretty far drive. And if traffic's hitting, you're literally moving two miles every 10 minutes or something like that. It's, it's really bad. So it wasn't very profitable, but what did you get out of this experience? Like what did you know after the experience that gave you the confidence to go ahead with opening the brick and mortar? So it gave us, because we hit a lot of, LA is very wide as opposed to New York being so condensed. Mm -hmm. LA is is very widespread. So we knew two areas that were performing really well, which was uh, Arts District was like near downtown Mm -hmm. and uh, Silver Lake, Los Feliz. So we knew these two areas performed really well on the days that we went. And Chinatown is right in the middle of them. So we thought, okay, we have existing customers in these two areas. Let's plop right in the middle of them and we'll hopefully draw those customers to Chinatown. Okay. So what you do get from a food truck first, you know, does this target market like what I'm doing? Yes or no. And who likes it the most? So you're, you're using this early time to collect data, look at trends and to find out where you should be when you do go to your brick and mortar. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, and then also to work on menu and execution and okay. and, 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 and all of that at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else that you think was cru- crucial to your success during this, this period of using the food truck? The marketing. I mean, my, uh, the, my main reason for success is my wife. It's like without a doubt. I home? wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for her, um, but she, she just kills it on, on Instagram and, and Twitter and all the social media platforms that we're on. 
she's really amazing at captivating the story mm. of what's happening within the company because now it's it's obviously a, such a different story because now we have guys like 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 one of my childhood best friends working with us or like and, and we're, we're really capturing the soul of of uh, what, what they're doing and how their lives are getting better and it I don't know. Like that's uh, the marketing aspect was was a great educational tool for is her. She, is she behind all the, the branding too? Is she behind the branding and the? the yep. Does she handle the website yep. and all that stuff. Well, yep. tell, is she there right now? Can we give her a shout out because her her game's on point. Uh, it's one thing I, yeah, I, I sure. admired uh, when I was doing my research is it, it's you guys have awesome branding. Your social media is awesome. Uh, you capture the essence of what you you know exist. Your your, your values, your mission, like it's all there. Uh, she's doing an incredible job. Yeah, yeah, and I, I she didn't get enough credit for it because I'm like the face of the company or whatever. And, but really, it's her because we wouldn't have half as many customers as we have now if it wasn't for her building up from literally the ground floor, this, this cult following that we have. Beautiful. And that's a huge lesson in itself is if you're not somebody who's an ace with social media and you know what, if you're not, it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, you need to be okay, but you're better off finding somebody who is an ace in partnering and collaborating with them and bringing them in because if you're not going to, if you're not good at it, if you don't enjoy it, you're, you're not going to be good at it someday. It's not going to happen. So, you know, outsource that like what chef did. And I think that's a beautiful example. And, um, okay. So let's move to the point where we are in the brick and mortar. Take us through what we learned during that experience of finding the location, why you picked that location. And I, I'm also really curious too, you're a fast casual location and you have fine dining experience why you made that decision there's still so much more i want to talk about but i, I guess yeah. just, like take it i mean to dial in on that one just to hit needle on the needle and hate or is i was tired of working with chefs and i wanted to work with people who um i could teach and, and bring up and who would value the job a little bit more than just a typical kind of chef job so fast casual market spoke to me because i could use the experience that i have uh, going forward to not only help like, like people like, like our employees uh, develop skills and, and, and progress through their careers, but also um, just destroy like, like, like this level of hospitality in the fast casual realm uh, and, and really succeed at it where customers are feeling so good, you know, about, themselves and, 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 and coming to our restaurant and spending $13. So like, wow, I want to support this. What is it about the fast casual model that enables you to develop to, to develop skills in your people? Why wouldn't you be able to do that versus other business models, fine dining, casual dining? Why, why is that so much more possible with fast casual? Because you are doing one to three different jobs uh, as opposed to doing like 12 so <clears throat> to give you an idea, like when I was at Ramsey's, I had five dishes that I was responsible for, and each dish had a, a different amount of pan pickups. So or, like ordering one quail, that's a three-pot pickup. So meaning that I have to have three pots going. I have to be heating, reconstituting like some uh, like white wine marinated uh, prunes, and then also... Um, emulsifying a, you know, like, like a dressing and then also heating up a pom puree and searing off a quail. So <laughs> technically I guess that's a four pop pickup. So some tickets, it's like, 
you have ordering one quail, one uh, pig's head, and one you know uh, foie gras. That's that's twelve pot pickup. Mm-hmm. So I have twelve different pots all going, and I have five minutes to make them perfect and give them to chef, or else like yeah. I'm in trouble. So and I, so that's I, a little different than you know managing a line where you're just making sure your dredge is on point and your seasonings on point um, and you're building sandos, you know, it's just simple, like easy, straightforward, you know? So why just chicken too? Well, I mean, I'm a firm believer in doing one thing really, really, really well, Mm. as opposed to doing a lot of things and doing them like not as well, like, like, or, 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 have a certain amount of attention that you can give to you know things as a human being and you know if you're you see it all the time with restaurants that have like these expansive menus where like they make their own french fries they make their own pasta they make their own like every cheese and they're they're not gonna i don't you're not gonna be able to make all those things at such a high level when you have other companies that are just making cheese. That's all they do. They mm. just make cheese all day, every day. Or they just, like a restaurant, like there's one Felix who just popped up. He just makes pastas. Like he, he, and by hand, and no pasta machines. And he's killing it, you know? And, and he focuses on one thing and he does it really, really well. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's, that's the beauty of, of being a chef is you go through your career kind of like learning the basics and, and really, you know, adapting to all these different restaurants. And then eventually you find your voice and, and, and that voice that you have, you, you just fine tune that lean yeah. into it, man. And that's exactly what you did. And listening to you talk, I can't help but think about, uh, a purple cow and the dip, by uh, Seth Godin's books. And he talks about just the power of being number one. And if you're the best at one thing, the, the rate of your success it's like like the number one ice cream is like vanilla, right? But it's like five times more popular than the next flavor, which is chocolate. So like if you're number one, like you're going to be five times more successful at doing that thing than you are uh, you, you, over the, the next best fried chicken place, you know, um, yeah. because you're number one. So focus on being the best at one thing and you're going to crush it. You're going to own that market. When anybody wants fried chicken, they're going to come to you uh, instead of trying to do a bunch of things okay and you can just go focus on that one thing and just crush it you can train it better you can you can just own that one thing and that's what you're doing and you can't put enough emphasis on that and then with the whole fast casual too the trainability it's operationally like you must be saving so much money because of the cost of training um especially with all these you know wage issues that we're looking at yeah i mean i actually like the wage issues why i'm happy because now uh, I, I like staying ahead of the curve and I already, I think like when I first started, I already started everybody, you know, like at 12. And so I was ahead of the curve in the sense of, I don't need to make any changes or whatever, but I like that th- these guys, they're grinding. They're wor- the, it's, I was there. I was, I was making, you know, nine fifty an hour and it, it, it sucks. Uh, and then when I got to 12, it, like that was really nice. But still, I had to work three to four hours free to just, you know, like maintain the job because it was like prestigious jobs or whatever. But the concept is like, I, I, I like it. I, I, if you're a good business, it's going to put out a lot of businesses and they're going to complain and they already are complaining. But you know what? It, it, 
it's a challenge and it's a further way to educate yourself on running your business a little more lean and also um, structure it and, and, and keep numbers tighter. And, and it, it, it's a challenge, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain about it. I, yeah. I, I like it. I embrace it. And I'm happy that finally, you know, kitchen workers know, taken care of. Yeah. get a little bit more than, than just like 10 bucks an hour or whatever. I hear you. I think this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more, and then we're going to go into the speed round. But it's going to be like a super-duper speed round because there's still so much I want to talk about. And we only have 15 okay. minutes left. So we'll be right back. Do you use a wait list when you've got more guests than tables? Maybe your lobby is just cramped or there's a line going out the door. Well, first off, way to go. Good for you. Your food rocks. People love you. Secondly, there is an easier way. Let's talk about no wait. It's an app because today, let's be honest, everything's an app, but this app really will make your customers' lives easier. No wait handles your wait list digitally. It makes it easy for customers to add themselves from anywhere. Then it tells them when to head to your restaurant to get seated with as little weight as humanly possible. It's a VIP experience that guests love and it brings them back again and again. That means no more unhappy campers passing you up to go someplace else less busy. You're busy because you earned it. Check out noway.com slash unstoppable for a special offer just because your restaurant unstoppable listeners. That's noway.com slash unstoppable. Don't let success steal your customers away. Facebook marketing, it's scary and intimidating, but it's also by far the most profitable paid media platform available to attract new and retain paying customers. It's only scary and intimidating because it's foreign to you, and that's scary. What you don't know, you don't understand, that's scary. Our good friend, past guest mentor, and industry expert, Nick Fosberg, can help you figure it out and make it less scary. He's giving Restaurant Unstoppable listeners his automated cash flow masterclass, which is valued at $1,500 away for free. When Nick told me this, I thought he was up to something that seemed like way too good of a deal, but he went on and he explained to me that this is a new product. He's got to test it out. So you're the test driver. And because you're restaurant unstoppable listeners, you're getting this sucker for free. So go to www.restaurantfbsystems.com. The masterclass starts next week. Don't delay. That's www.restaurantfb, like Foxtrot Bravo, systems.com, or check out the banner in the show notes. All right, we're back, and we're not going to dive into the speed round yet just because there's still so much we haven't touched on, uh, and I want to make sure we do dive into it, and then we're going to wrap this up with like the, a lightning speed round. Um, but first, let me ask you, Chef, um, your culture is amazing. What is it that you're doing? What advice can you give our listeners on how to build this incredible culture? Like the videos I see of your people, their energy is crazy. They're all happy to be at work. I want to quit podcasting and come work for you. That's how awesome your culture looks. How did you do it? Awesome. First off, uh, if you want to apply, you can apply on the website and we, you know, we wouldn't mind having you come in and work there. You might have to start as a dishwasher, but you know, I think that, you know, you might, I think you do a good job you, with customers and stuff like that. So that's the first one. <laughs> Is that for me specifically? Yeah. All yeah, right, man. You do I'm, a good job. I'm I coming mean, out. I'm coming out. <laughs> your your enthusiasm and, and, and the level of like, uh, 
<laughs> purity in your voice, you know, like like very very enthusiastic and nice. feel like you're smart witted, you know, so you can do a really good job. I will start uh, wherever you want me. I will even if I have to work up the dishwasher, I'll do it. Yeah, we actually had one of our customers' fathers who's now dishwashing. Nice, because <laughs> he he didn't want he didn't want to retire, but he loved the the work ethic and the team and everything like that. So now he's working there. But I mean, you've uh, already kind of like shined light on it earlier. You mentioned that people are like just throwing their resumes at you at a time where when I ask what's your biggest challenge, almost every person who responds to that question in these interviews is hiring and finding good people. So why? Yeah. What is your secret? What are you doing that is making all these people throw their resume at you? I mean, I think it's mentorship. I think it's it's like like t- to answer your question with a joke, like of of you, like me actually telling you, like okay, you can come work for us and stuff like that. I I'm trying to identify your strengths, right? So like, okay, I was telling you, you have enthusiasm. You obviously seem good at like like engaging customers and stuff like that. So putting people at their strengths, mm-hmm. like I have guys that are terrible at making sandwiches or, or seasoning the chicken, but they're, they're still working there and they're killing it because they're doing the role or, or job that, that is naturally a, like, like in, in tune with who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And so identifying people's strengths and weaknesses as a mentor I feel like is, is one key component because then you have all these different people doing all these different roles, but they're laser focused on these roles and they're doing something that naturally they're good at because of who they are. Okay. Number one, identifying strengths. What's the other thing that you think you do? Um, treat, treat our employees. Well, you know, like we, my birthday was on uh, July 3rd and, uh, my wife wanted to take me out to dinner uh, with some of our staff and, and she knew that that's what I would want to do is because part of the best gift to me is like giving back to other people. So I took out two of our, three of our chefs to this like really high end, uh, Nobu's restaurant, Nobu Matsuhisa. We, we, we went out to Matsuhisa and it's a sushi. We did a sushi omakase. So omakase means trust. And we just trusted the sushi chef to send us out whatever and some of these guys, like they have never had sushi in their lives, and uh, like it's like really expensive, so it's like really high end. So you get weird, weird to them. It's like weird ass stuff. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. scallop, raw scallop. <laughs> oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, guys. You know, like they're, they're like it's weird. You've never had uni and like you know these salmon egg and all this weird stuff. But part of me was, it was such a gift to be able to give back mm. and to see, you know, these guys getting so inspired, like they all whip out their phones and they're putting on their Instagram, like, like they're baller and stuff like that. <laughs> like, that's so cool, you know, um, that these guys get to experience that. And to me, it's something that I kind of like grew up in and it was really important to me, but also at the same time, I'm educating them on hospitality. How is the sushi chef engaging with us? what is he like, is he, is he watching how we eat the the food? And if we put soy on things and stuff like that, and you know, I was trying to teach him that too. And that was such a reward. So I think giving back to your staff, we, we flew out some of our original crew. Actually, we, all of our original crew, I started with four employees. We flew them all out to Nashville and we stayed in Nashville for like three or four days. And I, I wanted the customers to be able to ask them, Oh, have you been to Nashville before? And they're like, yeah, I've been, I, oh, my favorite's <laughs> Bolton's, my favorite's this, my favorite's that. 
And because they worked here because they're representing Nashville, I, I wanted to give them that, you know, so we flew them out. We rented a huge area B&B and uh, stayed there and went to all the hot chicken spots. And some of them is their first airplane that they've wow. ever taken in their life, you know? So that, that also shines through in a lot of different ways other than just like, you know, uh, photos of them in, in Nashville or whatever, they bring it back with them and, and that kind of changes their lives. And then that also cultivates more of that culture uh, of giving back because then other people see that and they're like, Oh, I want to work there. Like I get to fly out to Nashville or whatever. So, you know, giving back to your employees a little bit more than, than, than just a paycheck or a bonus or whatever, be creative with your bonuses and you can kind of, you know, control them in, in certain ways. We wanted to get, um, What's his name? Ray, not Ray, uh, Ray, the boxer, Ray, Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah. We wanted to get, we wanted to get him to do it. It was a little too expensive, but I wanted to get him to come into the restaurant and do a speech for the guys. You know, like, like the, those things are, that's, that's what it's about. Man. You know? Learn. I love what you're giving me. Did I cut you short? Did you, you're going to add something? No, you're good. You're good. So everything, I mean, I wrote down everything you said or tried to at least. And what I have, you know, is identify the strengths and then put people in the right lane so they can be the best they can be. You're giving them an opportunity to shine. So you're giving them that you're you're treating your, your people. Well, uh, you're educating them. You're, you're showing how much you appreciate them by bringing them to these restaurants, to the other side of the country. You're educating them and you're, you're just, all these things are just giving you're approaching this situation, looking at your team saying, what, can, what value can I give them? How can I give them an opportunity to excel, an opportunity to learn an opportunity to, to, to see that they're appreciated. That's what I'm hearing from you. And man, like if we approach everything looking to give before we look to get like, imagine how great the world would be. But like that, that's what I heard. Am I on, am I on track with what, what advice you're giving us? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a reward to, to be able to give something to somebody, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a direction in life that they can aspire to be better than they are, you know, currently, or if it's a reward of, of flying somewhere and, and enjoying something or going to a nice restaurant or new clothes of, of the company or, or, new you know like like customers bring me stuff all the time like beers and stuff like that but knowing oh the, this guy kevin or dishwasher he loves ipas this guy gave me a double ipa i hate double ipas i'm gonna give it to him mm. and it's like you know it's that type of sharing that that does come back to you you yeah. you, you may like a lot of people i feel like get caught up in like um like there was, uh, I won a Star Chef Award and I won a Vitamix for this Star Chef Award. It's like Rising Stars or of LA or something like that. I already have a Vitamix, and so I just gave the brand new one to one of our staff. You know, awesome. and most people they would be like, "Okay, I'm gonna take that Vitamix, I'm gonna sell it on eBay and make 400 bucks." Mm. You know, uh, and, and and then not only doing that with your employees because it's it, your 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 first customer is your employee, your second customer that's your customers you know, doing it with your customers too. There was, there was a guy that came in and he was so bummed out. We had a Yeti giveaway, a Yeti cooler, uh, giveaway, um, uh, which has like a built in irrigation system, not irrigation, a filtrate, uh, drain system in the cooler. So think about putting ice in this bucket and it's Mm. like, it stays so cold and it drains itself. And it's like crazy. Uh, it's like a $300 (laughs) Yeti. Um, and, 
we bought an extra one and then I was going to keep it. But uh, this guy, I was so bummed out that he didn't win it. And I, I just, I just walked across the way and just gave it to him. And it was so funny because there's this long line and I come out of this like storage unit with this big ass Yeti walking across the line and just hand it to this guy. And he was like shocked. He was like, <laughs> he was like, what the hell? How'd that make and you feel though? That's dope, man. To be right? able to give, he was so bummed <laughs> out, but my wife was pissed because um, she only had a few for the giveaways. So she was worried that someone who actually won the giveaway on Instagram wouldn't get it. But I told her that it was the one that it was one of the extra ones at our house. And then she was fine. And I told her the whole story and she was okay. <laughs> um, but it's little situations like that where it's like, you just, you can't care about these material things. You can't care about, you know, like, uh, the numbers so much, you know, in terms of food costs or labor costs and stuff like that. It's more about the culture of what, what you're doing and how you're treating people that resonates so much more with your customers than just, just, just the numbers game, you know? Mm. I mean, the numbers are important. Like we can't overlook that, but it's, it can't be what determines things. Uh, I mean, you have to use, I mean, it guides you. And some people would say, Eric, you're wrong. Like, why are you saying this? Yeah, you got to pay attention to your numbers, but it's not, it's not the numbers that are going to make people fall in love with you. You know, yeah. like, uh, and like, that's the only way I could think of how to explain it quickly. And well, I mean, if for, for me, if I followed the whole numbers rule, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I do run a 35% food cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and most restaurants are 20 to 25 um, and you know, it, it, look at the numbers on Yelp, you know, like, like if I'm going by those numbers going by, like it's, if I, if I was following numbers, I would be in a completely different situation than yeah. now. Um, but that emotional because, factor is overriding the numbers. Is that what I'm hearing? And I hate to cut yeah, you short. Yeah. But, but also it's not so much, it's, it's like, you know, if it's the first time for somebody and you make no money on their, on their thing because you give them so much free stuff because they're so grumpy you know they're going to come back right mm-hmm. and then the second time you can give them a, a little bit of a hookup and then the third time you know like the, they're paying and, and all that but it's not my my situation is a lot different than normal restaurants because i do have like like we have a long ass line it's like on the weekends it's two to three hours right wow. so people are waiting in line two to three hours and you Sometimes you can just sense they're freaking pissed. They're like, "Fuck this! This better be the like, best fried the best chicken sandwich ever. fried chicken I've had in my life." <laughs> right? So, unfortunately, I had that problem, and so with that problem comes like, "Okay, I'm gonna hook them up a little bit. Here's an extra piece. Here's a cookie. Here's a drink on the house. Here's mm. a freaking free skateboard. You know, the Hal Ray's Active Skateboard Club or whatever." Because I'm trying to counter that, that kind of like negativity that's brought to us sometimes um so with us the numbers they're they're out the window and also because i'm i'm the owner with with my wife it's not we're not doing it for the numbers we're not following the numbers game we're not we're not following that with this model because it's 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 a little bit different you know it's uh, like if how to open a restaurant you you need some street signage you need you need to be visible from the street you should be open, you know, six hours or more, right? You should be open six days, you know, at a minimum. And, uh, you know, like you, you should be doing 20, 25% food costs, 25% labor, you know, 
So we went against all of those. Our restaurant's in a plaza in Chinatown that's like a ghost town on, on days you know, that were not necessarily open. There's not a lot of people there. You cannot see it from the street. We're only open 11 to 4, five days a week, and it's a two-hour line. So it's like, how do you get the, how do you get the food, you know? Yeah, well, I'm curious. If your lunch break's only 30 minutes, how are you going to get the food? Man, we're already over our time. Did you realize that? I mean, I, I, <laughs> you were on such a roll. I don't want to stop you. Um, yeah, yeah. Are, are you good for like five more minutes? Yeah, go straight into the speed thing. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I, I, I want to keep going, but real quick question. Then I'm going to ask the speed round. If, okay. if you're doing all these things wrong, what is it that you're doing right that's so overpowerly? Like you're overpowering everything else because you're doing it so right. What is it? In like one quick sentence. Yeah, I mean, the difference is treating people as if they're people, but valuing their time and valuing their patronage to the restaurant. Like, like. Even if they just get one leg quarter, $8.70, whatever, and giving them some extra sauce, extra drink, extra pickle or whatever to show them, like, we appreciate you. Thank you. You know, that's that is lost (laughs) nowadays, like in a lot of restaurants. The power of gratitude. It's a word you need to get familiar with. uh, And that's what I'm hearing. Just you're so grateful and you show it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Quick speed round. Then we're going to say goodbye. This is going to be the world's fastest speed round. You ready for the chef? Yeah. All right. What is your it factor? It factor. Uh, so yeah. Grateful. Grateful. Gratefulness. Beautiful. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, ego. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? I'd say gratitude. I love it. Uh, what's one question or thing you look for when building your team? Loyal. Loyalty. What's a current challenge? Too many customers. How are you overcoming it? Uh, expansion. Oh, man. I wish we could have dove into that, but maybe another day. Uh, what's one thing besides food your restaurant does really well that separates you from others? Treating people like human beings. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner that you must recommend? Uh, I'm going to go against the curve on this one. Kitchen confidential. And that is on audio. Get that book for free by going to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. And what is one piece of technology you've adopted and leveraged in your restaurant? That's really having an impact on operations. Nest uh, camera Wi-Fi. Beautiful. And with all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, hindsight being 2020, what would that advice be? Nothing. Nothing. I love it. Uh, is there a question I could have asked you that would have added more value today to today's conversation? No, you're doing good. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And this has been an, an amazing conversation. You've given us such value in your advice, your mentorship. Uh, who do you respect and, and admire in this industry and believe would be a great guest mentor like you've been for us today? Uh, Thomas Keller or Anthony Bourdain. Can you make either one of those happen? Because <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> an introduction, yeah. if possible, would be great. Yeah, no I, pressure. I put it here. I'll try and put it out. All right. And uh, how can we connect with you? Uh, What's the best way to connect? Social media, email, uh, website, lay it on us so we can come find you and come work for you or just pick up the conversation. 
Yeah, I get a lot of people hit me up on Instagram, just Johnny Rayson, J-O-H-N-N-Y-R-A-Y-Z-O-N-E on Instagram or Twitter. Chef Johnny Ray Zone, man, it was an honor making an example of you, sharing your story, uh, just highlighting the, the type of person you are, somebody who's dedicated to the thing that they do, to going deep, doing one thing really well and making it all about giving back to other people and making it about other people, man. You are unstoppable. Appreciate that. And, and, and kudos to you too for doing what you're doing out here. You know, I think a lot of... I, I wish I had this uh, level of resources when I was starting out. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are very appreciative of what you're doing and you should be proud of that too. Thank you. I, I love every second of it, but thank you very much. And uh, we'll cut it there. Cheers. Oh man, <laughs> chef Johnny Ray. Sometimes an hour just isn't enough time. There's so much value in today's episode. Uh, I think the big takeaway was just, Start small, start where you can, start learning everything you can. I mean, the journey to owning your own restaurant doesn't start with concept. It starts with you making yourself into the best version of you you can be. And you do that by showing up every day and trying to just, just to be a little bit better, like he told us, and getting that experience. Not taking a job for money, but taking a job for the, the things you're going to learn, the people you're going to surround yourself with, and just oh man doing it for the right reasons and the, the the advice and just culture and just making it about giving and existing to benefit everyone else but yourself in the long run it will come back to serve you and i think chef john or chef uh johnny ray is just a, a, in a beautiful he's an incredible example of that and god i wish we had more time there was so much more i wanted to talk about uh, maybe he'll come back on the show who knows i'll if he wants to, he's always welcome. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And um, like always, guys, please do reach out to me. If you can think of somebody who would make a great guest on the show, who's crushing it in your community, who we can all learn from, uh, put them in front of me. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, uh, or give me some topics. Give me some challenges you're currently dealing with. And maybe I know somebody who, who can come on the show and help us overcome those challenges together. Um, but I need to know where the pain is before I can find the, the solution, the remedy. So don't be afraid to reach out to me. Again, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Social media, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter. Facebook slash restaurantunstoppable. And you can always set up that one-on-one chat, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one. Or just email me. Tell me you want to chat. I'll shoot you the scheduling link. We'll, we'll set up a time. You can... Tell me whatever you, you want. You can tell me how much I suck. I don't care. That help that helps too. <laughs> Anything, any information helps. Uh, what else? Uh, guys, help me spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable. The more people who know about this resource, the more people I can help. But it also gives me some leverage to, to take this thing to the next level and to get more people on my team, to get people on my team who can get into the, that lane they belong in so I can get out of lanes I don't belong in. <laughs> we can really grow this thing and make it better and uh, just share the word. The best compliment you can give me uh, is knowing that you're spreading the word about what I'm trying to do, creating this nothing pot of mentors and lift our industry up and really just share knowledge and uh, it should be free. That's my opinion. Knowledge should be free. That's what we do as humans. That's why we survived as long as we have. That's why we're at the top of the 
the food chains because we share knowledge. We work together um, and we can crowdsource this information and make it an incredible resource uh, if you guys help me spread the word. So please do that. That's all for today. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long and until next time, peace out.